You're listening to Strictly Business Podcast with Lindsay Williams. It's Wednesday, so it's time for Wayne on Wednesday. Wayne McCurry is a portfolio manager at FMB Wealth and Investment in Johannesburg. Wayne, there's a couple of things I want to talk about before I get to the uh, the agenda of today's show. And the first thing I want to get out of the way is the number of results that have come out from JSE listed companies. Have any of them stood out for you, either in a good or a bad way? Well, look, a lot have stood out. Probably the majority have stood out in 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 a good way. A lot of companies led by ShopRite, you know, they're back trading at pre-COVID levels. All the hospitals are back at pre-COVID levels. It's all looking quite good. However, there were a couple of disappointments. And there you can say SPA, yes. was, SPA was definitely a disappointment. Um, you know, clearly Pepco's picked up some or someone's picked up, uh, sorry, not Pepco, ShopRite or Pick and Pay, but someone's picked up market share from them because that was a disappointing result. And then uh, there's another another couple of retailers also disappointed. But then one specifically today, yes, which is Shogo Sun. I mean, these people must be dying. You know, when you read through what they say there, look, they've they're still making a loss. They made forty cents loss last nine months to September. They made a ten cent loss per share now, but you know, occupancy levels last year were ten percent for the six months to September. This year, for the six months to September, they're up at about thirty or forty percent. They can't make money on that. Up, they can't make money yeah, on thirty, forty percent. No. Yeah, and even though it's picked up, even though it's picked up a little bit post the September year, it's still half of what it was pre-COVID. You know, I mean, it, it must be devastating for, for these businesses. And it's not, just, it's not just South African tourists. Obviously, there's no overseas visitors at all. And they make an impassioned plea to say that people who are fully vaccinated should have, should be no restriction on traveling. You know, all you got to do is prove that you're fully vaccinated and maybe do the antigen test, and then you should be allowed to travel anywhere and go anywhere, you know, and and it's really devastating for that. Now, of course, looking into the future is a hazardous occupation, but uh, I spent a bit of time in the last couple of days chatting to uh, this, there's, there's a task team within First Rand mm. that specifically looks at the virus, you know, and, and they've been quite good in their predictions. Right. You know, a fourth wave is coming. There's no question. It's already starting. The fourth wave's already on its way. And more than likely, the peak will be in January in South Africa. And the number of daily infections will probably be similar to the last two peaks. You know, the, the last two peaks were the highest. The first, the first wave was actually relatively low in comparison to the second and third wave. But the fourth wave, every indication is going to be as many people infected. But they also gave some statistics as to how many people are partially vaccinated or fully vaccinated. So anyone over 60, mm. it's about, call it 60% fully vaccinated and another 10% who's had one of the two injections. So they're partially vaccinated. Then 
50 to 60, it comes down to about, this is now fully and partially vaccinated, it comes down to about 58%, but then it drops off quite quite quickly. And, you know, the, the 20 to 30 age group, I think only about 30-odd percent is fully vaccinated. But overall, and this is now fully and partially vaccinated, the whole country, it's sitting, the number sitting at about 50 or 52%. So whatever the fourth wave brings, it should bring significantly fewer serious illnesses, hospitalizations, and deaths. And you just hope when this fourth wave strikes that this is taken into cognizance and we don't get, a, you know, effectively a hard lockdown again. But uh, anyone in South Africa who's worried about not being able to buy alcohol because of alcohol sales restrictions better stock up because that's quite likely to happen again. And uh, you're coming up to the season where the, people congregate. And people are going to congregate yes. at, at, at Christmas time. And, whether, that's, whether, and that's one of be, the reasons why. Yeah, maybe there, it'll be youngsters on a beach somewhere at a rave or whatever. Or yeah, well, whether we it be, what happened Yeah, precisely. So it, you have to be very careful. Look, in the African context, South Africa is doing rather well with the numbers you've just quoted. Yes. There are other countries which are woefully, woefully below that, Kenya, for yeah. example. But, um, yeah, we've still got a, a, a way to go. So, And this is summer, well, of course. We've got a way to go, but the, but the problem yeah, is, is not there's no shortage of vaccines. Eh? There's shortage of people. Uh, you want to take the vaccine, you come and get the injection. Um I mean, there's, there's, there's a very real likelihood that we might have to destroy some vaccines because they reached the sell-by date, you know, they reached the expiry date. So there's no shortage of vaccines and the ability and system to deliver vaccines. There's, there's actually people are cautious for whatever reasons. Now, I mean, obviously in this whole epidemic, everyone's an expert, including myself, <laughs> but Every story I hear is that the vaccines work. Yes. You know, they, 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 every story I hear, you know, maybe in 10 years' time we might grow an extra ear or something because of the vaccine, but at least we'll still be alive. But every everything I hear, the vaccines work. So either it wasn't sold properly or the message hasn't got across properly because there should be, you know, the anti-vax lobby group or the anti-vaxxers should actually be as such a tiny minority of people, and yet it's not. It's actually quite a substantial number of people are anti-vax. And the story didn't get mm. across properly for whatever reason. Yeah, well, it's a lack of distribution into certain areas of the country that don't have the ability to uh, to find out. I mean, you're not getting people going around um, rural areas knocking on doors and saying, look, this is what you've got to do. These are the facts and sitting down with them because there are certain um, yeah. communities that are not as well informed as, for example, where you live in Johannesburg, the northern suburbs yeah. of Johannesburg. So you have to be cognizant of that. But I just want to, as we end this, because I don't want to too, uh, talk too much more yeah. about vaccinations, is I was seeing somebody in Europe uh, I think it was in Brussels or something at a huge rally in Brussels over the weekend uh, against lockdowns and against uh, forcible vaccinations. Yes. And this person says, well, you know, it's my life and my body and I've got the right to do what I like with it. And I said, yes, uh, to, I said to myself, yes, you have. It's your body. You're in charge of your body. You but are the sole, you're in the sole custodian of your body. But I put myself then in the camp of being, say, let's say I was a landlord, one of those beautiful beer bars yeah. in Brussels. I say, well, this is my, this is my world. 
And if you haven't got a vaccination proof, a double vaccination in. proof or, or a test, then you can't come in. So you can say you can't yes. have it both ways. On the one hand, you're then in you charge of your body and your life. I'm in charge of my bar and therefore my life yeah. as well. well so look, you can't come the, in. The analogy I use is actually a very pertinent one. Mm. I'm a smoker. That's yes. my choice. Right. Okay. If I want to smoke, I'm going to smoke. But I know that if I smoke, I can't smoke in a restaurant. I can't smoke in a public place. I can't smoke at a sports supporting venue. Very good. I can't smoke in a shopping center. And I accept that. And the vaccination is exactly the same. It's your choice not to get vaccinated, but there's consequences to your choice. You can't fly in an airplane. You can't go into any restaurants because very early next year, it will literally be a passport. You'll have to carry it with you, your vaccination certificate, like you carry your your driver's license, because they're going to check on it before you go into a restaurant, before you go into a public arena. It's going to be checked, but yes. Okay, so it's, it is personal choice, but people mustn't impose their personal choices on other people and, and not expect them to impose theirs back at them. So, yeah, yeah. Let's, let's be responsible about this. Just on the subject of smoking, if you go on a long-haul flight, you must go mad, Wayne. No, surprisingly enough, you know, this started many years ago when you couldn't smoke on aeroplanes. It probably started 20 years ago, if More not than a little bit longer. Mm. Yeah. And the first couple of flights, it was terrible. But now flying, it's like it's, it's a psychological adjustment. You just know you don't smoke, so it's actually fine. It's, it's actually not that bad. Of course, the first thing you do when you <laughs> climb off the aeroplane is go find a spot to have a cigarette. <laughs> but no, it's actually it's actually not that bad okay the main agenda that i had today which we haven't got time for because of your uh, next appointment uh, but i want you to think about it for next week is value versus growth and i've talked about it so many times over yes. the last 15 20 years and i, I quite honestly most of the chats that i've had well, i over, can give you a quick two or three minute no 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 story I, about no i want the, I, you I, want to save it for next week i want the real story for next week because we've got to talk okay. about christmas christmas lunch and dinner uh, which is far more important but i know that over the yes. years i've had some really dreary conversations about value versus growth and theory, etc. But what has happened this year is that theory has become reality when it comes to value coming to the fore. I mean, for example, last night, yes. the Dow Jones was up, the S&P was up slightly, and the NASDAQ was, the down, NASDAQ was and, down. And so it's growth versus value almost on a daily basis. So next week, we'll talk about that in greater sure. detail. But what I want to know now is about Christmas lunch. Last week, you suggested that you would like uh, lamb, and it would either be a rack yes. of lamb so beautiful or a leg of lamb if you chose the leg of lamb because of the preferences of your partner or your your guest your family whatever would you go for the pink lamb uh with mint sauce and obviously cooked with rosemary and garlic etc or would you go for the leg of lamb that has been cooked for you know two three maybe even four hours and is falling off the bone how do you prefer it no 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 that wet that very terminology you use there actually turns my stomach a little bit. Mm. I, I hate the concept of falling off the bone. Mm. And the reason why my mother, and she was a wonderful person and I miss her, yes. but my mother used to make, she wasn't domesticated at all. She was a, she was a business lady. She worked her whole life, but she had this one dish that she used to make where she took a chicken put it in a big pot, fill the pot up with water, put some carrots and some 
whatever in the water Onions. and then stuck it in the mic, stuck it in the warming drawer of the stove for a day. Oh, no, that's no and good. it was called warming jaw chicken. And when you when it came out, it was that terrible pale colour, and there was no roast on it. So it's grey almost. Touch it, you're grey, and touch it with your fork or your knife, and the meat used to just like disintegrate in front of you and fall off the bone. So, so I, you know, since then I've been psychologically scarred about this concept of falling off the bone. So I actually like my meat relatively rare. So let's say medium rare is mm. more my thing. I used to eat rare, right. but because of all the, when you watch a cooking program, and I've watched many hundreds, if not thousands of cooking programs, I quite like it. Yes. The biggest trouble the contestants get into is overcooking the meat mm. or whatever they're doing. They're overcooking. So what I found is since the, over the last 20 years, since these cooking programs have started, what used to be rare is now virtually raw. So now I've got to order medium rare to get what, what an old-fashioned rare because food has become, has shifted way more towards the rare side of the spectrum. So I, I would choose the, 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 the pink lamb that you got to cut off the bone. I don't like this concept at all of falling off the bone, as I've said a few times. And in fact, I quite like buying a deboned leg of lamb. Mm. It's just so much easier to carve. Yeah, if you've got a good butcher, you can, you can do that. I do yes, I, I do yes. disagree you, with you slightly. When it comes to a shoulder of lamb, that is that is much better, Ooh. not rare, but uh, but slowly no, I roasted. I think you're right there. What? I mm. go on. I, I'm, I cooked a shoulder of lamb once, and this was a while back, and I must actually look into it again. But that was a slow roast, yes. and it was done, surprising enough, with molasses on the outside of the skin before you put it into the oven, and it came out totally delicious. And, and I agree with you on that. The, the, the shoulder, you've got, to, you've got to cook well. But I, I must say that I must actually... I must actually make that one again. It was a very, very nice dish. Okay, consider that in the next few weeks as a precursor to your your, your Christmas lunch. Just talking about, and you've, you always get me going off at tangents when it comes to food. Just talking about watching food programs. I don't like the contests. I find, I, you know, if I want to watch a contest, yeah. I watch a football match. But I, I, I've been looking at the history of food on television. Uh, the first one that really stands out, black and white, 1950s, 1960s, Julia Child. And there was a film with, what's her name? She was a huge woman. She was six foot three, uh, probably about 193, 194 in, in metres. And she was played by Meryl Streep, a very, very good film. But she was a pioneering television chef. After that, in the UK, we had a woman called Fanny Craddock, who was a great character. That was 1960s. And after that, we had an Australian fellow by the name of Graham Kerr, who was known as the Galloping Gourmet. Then you had Keith Floyd, the drunkard who died of alcoholism. Yes. And then after yeah. that, of course, then came the Jamie Olivers and the Gordon Ramses. And so it goes on. There's almost too many now. But it's an interesting progression. They're, and how tastes they're, they're have changed. Almost too many. Yeah, yeah it is. Yeah, they are almost too many. You must remember, we don't know any of those people people from the 60s we only got television in 1975 in south africa so well you've got the internet of you've, you've, of of those of those programs so i sort of started started watching with uh, with i suppose with jamie uh, yeah you know i did watch uh, i did watch a bit of uh, floyd but not not a lot it's only really when my daughter became 
totally and utterly obsessed with food. Mm. And she's as skinny as a rake. And she eats a lot of stuff that, that I, she likes ancient grains and that. And I'm not quite into that sort of stuff, but she's a proper foodie. And then that's when I started watching the food programs. And I don't actually mind the context, the contests too much. In MasterChef Australia, which is the one that I probably watched the most of, mm -hmm. there's one thing you've got to do is you've got to have your finger on the volume button. Because there is so much shouting and screaming when it's 10 minutes to go and five minutes to go and 10. And the, the judges scream. You've got to actually turn the volume down. But other than that, you see a lot of different kinds of meals and the preparation of the meals that you wouldn't ordinarily see in the Jamie Oliver, Gordon Ramsay type um, production. But the one thing, and I, is, it, is it Gordon Ramsay? I can't remember. He's the one with the foul mouth. Yes, that's the one. Mm. Swearing should not be allowed on a cooking program. No. It's, it's, it's about food. Mm. You're not, you're not, you should actually be a law against swearing on a cooking program. It actually spoils it quite a bit. And one, the one thing I don't watch is when they go and fix up the rotten restaurant or the rotten hotel, you know. Oh, that. That's yeah. absolute rubbish. That's, that. And he really, I mean, that's complete he's, rubbish. And he's completely nasty to these people. And he really lets yeah. rip with the, with the profanities. And he's, it's, it's, he's just yeah. awful. I can't stand him. Uh, he's got, he's got a hair weave or he's got plugs in his hair. He's ruined a, a beautiful home that he bought in Cornwall, which is a, a fantastic part of the, the southwest of uh, the United Kingdom. And he's just, to me, he's a reprehensible character. Good, good yeah. chef, but of use, course. Use that, yeah, use that one chap who's like the real expert who like weighs every letter's leaf to the gram, Blumenthal. Heston Blumenthal. Who's yeah, he's a scientist. Heston. He's a food scientist. Yeah, he's, he's a got... scientist. I actually like watching him. He's, uh, I actually enjoy his approach to it. I remember the ones when he made the world's best hamburger. And I must say, it looked like the world's best ever. He went through the whole process, didn't he? Getting the best meat, getting yes. the best temperature. He was almost like in a laboratory. And in fact, he's, what, he's got yes. a laboratory. He's got a very got um, a famous restaurant uh, called The Fat Duck in Bray, which is on the river, on the River Thames, way outside London, but still on the Thames. And uh, apparently... It's just sensational. But when we're getting off the point, now yeah, let's get I, back to simplicity. Yes. Well, last week we spoke about traditional Christmas lunches, and I did sort of throw forward to something slightly alternative where we, when it comes to a North European like myself, a British person, prawns and salads and potato salads and mealies and, and, and things like that, like a, a, a barbecue, a, a braai yeah. Christmas lunch. Do you ever do that? Have you ever done that? I have done that before, but I actually prefer the traditional, but we always chuck in some millies. Yes. And, and millies are the simplest things to cook. You literally dip them in water, you wrap them in cling wrap, so they're wet, you wrap them in cling wrap, you put them in the microwave for about 10, 12 minutes, mm -hmm. they're totally cooked, and then you just brown the outside, grill the outside a little bit in a pan or on the braai or on your gas braai. It's too delicious for words. And they've got to be charred somewhat, haven't they? They've got to be succulent, but also a, a bit, bit of, of charring. Them, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, exactly. But, I mean, there, there is something quite enticing about a big Mozambican prawn that has been grilled to perfection, Ooh, yes. two minutes on either side maximum, with garlic and lemon and peri-peri and that sort of thing. I like that. I must that. say, I, haven't, I, I actually haven't gone out for prawns. You're making me hungry now. I haven't gone out for prawns for a very, very long time, at least a month very very long time 
really long time now. Yeah, anyway. Okay, well, that's that sorted out. Next week, uh, Wayne, it's uh, value versus growth, the practicalities of growth, 2021 yeah. and what might happen in 2022, and then try and incorporate the economic cycle versus value versus growth as well. At what stage of the economic cycle does value become fashionable or growth fall out of fashion, that sort of thing. So I'm looking forward to that. Wayne McCurry is a portfolio manager at FNB Wealth and Investment in Johannesburg. And that was Wayne on Wednesday. The views and opinions expressed in these podcasts are those of Lindsay Williams and various contributors and do not reflect the policy, position or opinion of any other agency, organization, employer or company associated with strictlybusinesspodcast.com. Assumptions made on the analyses are not reflective of the position of any other entity other than the speaker or the author. And since we are critically thinking human beings, these views are always subject to change, revision and rethinking at any time. Please do not hold us to them in perpetuity.